<laughs> you ever just talk to someone at a party and just realize that you are not the same person? Yes. Because this happened at your birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> Can I put this story in here? Yes, you may. Uh, just don't name any names. There was someone there who we were talking about music and... I, she said Taylor Swift was one of her favorite artists. And I said, oh, have you listened to the Fearless re-record? And she said, no. And I just couldn't. <laughs> I realized in that moment that we were not the same person. It had been out for like three or four weeks at that point. And to have not listened to a new album by an artist that you claim is your favorite person, I, I cannot comprehend that lifestyle. Well, to be fair, you are a nut. <laughs> But still, especially okay, especially if you're saying your favorite artist is Taylor Swift. Yeah, but I mean, I understand where you're coming from because you are a three, meaning you purposely make sure you know everything and anything. This is true. But on day still, one of a release of an album. But still, to say it's your favorite artist and have not listened to their newest release a month later. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's right. <laughs> I'm just saying we're not. I'm not the same person. <laughs> I did tweet about the story and got some great responses. Did though. you? Yes. That's hilarious. From fellow Swifties, they're like, "Yeah, clearly that person's not a Swiftie," and I'm like, "Yeah." That's hilarious. Uh, anyway, I'm Leah. I'm Bethan, and this is Shuaraku. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haunt you, let me turn down the thermostat. Who is this band? We're on page one, guys. This is Shiwaraki. Uh, we have some uh, business items to discuss. We got a few business items. Uh, so last recording session, I got on here and begged you guys to leave us reviews. And you guys delivered. Like... The floodgates of reviews <laughs> opened. Like I have, I screenshot every review to put into this doc so that we can read it on the show. And the doc is now seven pages long. Yeah. Which I mean, they're large screenshots. It's like four to five on a page, but still. So um, we're going to like pick two each time going forward because we'll, yes. we're never going to get through them all. So sorry. And I'm also making an editorial decision. I'm not putting music under them mainly because we just have so many yes i can't keep up guys i gotta focus on other things that um so thank you thank you thank you to everyone who's left a review it's if we're not stopping reviews like please leave a yes. review if you're listening to this in the future but thank you to those of you who did leave a review because we were we're overwhelmed with the amount that came yes. in one week um and before i read some of them i want to shout out I, I recently became active on our Twitter again. If you're not following us, go follow us because it's, it's different content over there than it is on on the other socials. Um, it's plug for our socials because you know how sometimes you follow a brand across different socials and it's the same content. It's not on ours. I try to keep it creative. Um, but on Twitter, there's a great indie podcast community and I want to shout out some of the guys and girls over there. Uh, Playlist Wars, Pop Culture Hoot Nanny, Well Disguised, Three Films in a Podcast, Pick a Disc, Even the Score, and like many, many, many others. I'll try to shout out some more in future episodes, but everyone over there is just like super warm and welcoming and go check them yeah. out. Um, also, I put in my notes and definitely skipped it because of people who have reviewed and subscribed like we asked you to. We were the number 17 music podcast in Egypt yesterday. Woo! So that's that's because Go of you Egypt. guys. Thank you, Egypt. If, if you're listening from Egypt, please send us a DM. Yes. We want to know who you are. 
Uh, all right, let's let's pick two reviews. Uh, let's talk about the review that we got today. Yeah, this is is my favorite review we've ever gotten. When Leah, when I'm gone, because I know I'll go first. That's just I just have the sight on that. When I'm gone, I need you to print this and I need you to blow it up. I want it at least in a eleven by seventeen. I'll laminate it. Laminate it, yes. And I want it like displayed like right in front okay. of the coffin. We'll put it like on a little easel thing. Yes. Uh, yes. Perfect. Don't even show pictures. <laughs> I, I don't even want to show pictures. <laughs> I want this. Okay. This is a review from Well Disguised Podcast that they left on our Pod Chaser uh, account, which is clear evidence that you don't need a Y chromosome to make a killer podcast about rock and roll. Which I immediately updated and put on our website because yes. it's perfect. So thank you, John, for that. I've never received such a perfect compliment. Um, and then another one that I want to read is... This is from... I'm not even going to pretend to pronounce this username. R-G-I-N-G-Y-V-J. That's not a word. Sorry. Uh, it says, She Will Rock You? Absolutely. She Will Rock You was a great podcast. Very well done. I would give them eight stars, but it's not allowed. Which made me laugh, because why eight? <laughs> Eight's a great number. Uh, so thank you for that review. Yes, thank you. I think that's... Oh, we have merch. Yeah. That I was, was about to say, I didn't put on this new shirt for nothing. I literally wrote it in all caps at the bottom of this note. We have merch. <laughs> uh You've probably, if you follow us on Instagram, seen us teasing it. Uh, yes. It's on our, it's available on our website. So if you go to our website and click the merch button, some, some of our followers have found the button before we've started promoting it. So now that we've seen it in person, we, we feel safe to tell you we have merch. It is higher quality than we expected from like, it's a yeah. print on demand place. We didn't want to be sitting here with 50 boxes of sweatshirts in our basement. Um, so it's all done through Tee Public. So mm-hmm. If there is a problem, don't yell at us. Yell Correct. at Tee Public. But it is. I'm impressed with the quality. I know. I keep looking at it. So I'm wearing a light pink um, long sleeve shirt with our, our doodles, design. doodles design. And I'm like really happy with how it came out. I've bought this in already. <laughs> uh, two shirts. I think a hoodie with the lightning bolt. Yes. And then I've bought pint glass but i got two for the price of one yes which is fun and then i have a sticker that i'm testing on my car right now and so far great durability it also hasn't rained yet so stay tuned correct um so yeah we have two designs we have a lightning bolt that kind of looks like our logo Mm -hmm. and the doodles both were made by us for us so we hope to have more in the summer we're hoping to release some really fun designs there's stuff in the works but uh for the time being, there's two designs on a plethora of items, so go check that out. And now I'm going to stop talking and pass my laptop All right. over to Bethany. The ceremonial passing of the laptop. Me. Oh, Mia wants to join me on the couch. Yes, please, Come please on, grab a dog. Rody is laying at my feet. <laughs> Mia. Just get all up in her face, Mia. So hello and welcome to She Will Rock and Cry Herself to Sleep. <laughs> Uh, if you can't tell by my deflect to humor tactic, this is going to be a heavier episode. That's why I'm glad you have Mia. I'm hoping Rody will come up here as my emotional support animal. But if you know anything about my dog, 
that's unlikely he's just passed out on the floor <laughs> yeah he's there from a distance um you can have mia mia you want to come to me no she's not interested she's too interested in i will have house. my emotional support taco bell baja blast colada whatever the fuck it's called baja colada which doesn't flow very well no it's very hard phonetically for me to say anyway this is going to be a heavier episode. Actually, our next two are heavier. Sorry, guys. We planned <laughs> very badly. So if you're binging this in the future, just yeah. like bounce around. Go listen to Stevie Wonder and then come back. Yeah. And plus, we'll have some fun interviews. That'll lighten the mood a little bit. We have a plethora of interviews that yes. can lighten the mood a Go bit. Go listen to something, but not these two back to back. Yes. So... With that said, I'm going to put in a pretty big trigger warning here. One for drugs, one for alcohol, one for eating disorders, self-harm, and death. So That is all the boxes. All of them. Um, also, we're covering two rule breakers this month. But I don't. I feel like my artist does fall into rock and roll influenced. Yeah, she's, she's more than mine. Like, she's definitely a gray area. I would lean more towards, I think she would qualify my wife. We're talking about the great Amy Winehouse. Quick story. I didn't realize like how much I loved her, by the way, until I decided to cover her for an episode. Like I, of course, knew, you know, rehab and listened to some songs back in the day. But going back into her actual story and seeing like what she did with just her time on Earth, like and what she was able to accomplish, like I've just fallen in love with this artist. So anyway, here is Amy. So Amy Winehouse, which unrelated, I've always loved her last name, like 10 out of 10 best early band name we've ever covered on this <laughs> on this podcast. It's just her name, but yes, it's perfect. Um, it, she was born on September 14th, 1983 in North London. Her family. I forgot that she was pretty. How did I forget that she was British? Oh, I have another moment in this podcast where I didn't even know this person we're about to like slightly mention was British the hell we'll talk about it in a second but yeah she's british so her family was jewish and her ancestors immigrated to london from russia and poland her family was also jazz musicians um an interest that no doubt played in her career if you've ever heard any song that she ever wrote you hear it fun fact her uncles were jazz musicians and her grandmother was a singer I that think makes sense a jazz singer her dad would also play Frank Sinatra for her when she was a little girl. And in grade school, whenever she would get in trouble, which I'm assuming is quite a bit, knowing Amy, um, she would sing Fly Me to the Moon on her way to the principal's slash headmistress <laughs> office. That's hilarious. I love it. When she was nine, her parents would split up. After her parents separated, Amy had this epiphany. And that epiphany said... I can do whatever I want, which meant she could dress however she wanted, wear makeup, swear, like in all badass teen movies. She had that awakening very early. Yes, she did. Around that same time, her grandmother suggested she enroll in a theater school where she could get singing and tap dance lessons on the weekend. It was here she met some friends and they formed a rap group inspired by Salt and Pepper oh, called no. Sweet and Sour. I love it. I think it's so cute. I think you mean Salt and Pepper. <laughs> As the John Mulaney skit goes. <laughs> anyway, that group doesn't last long. 
Um, after attending for four years, she did go full time at this school called Sylvia Young Theater School. This is a very prominent school where a lot of like future actors and actresses and singers and all them in the UK emerge. Um, some noteworthy ones is Leona Lewis, Rita Ora, Dua Lipa. Is that how yeah. you? Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't really listen to her very much. And this is. I did not know she was British. Did you know she was British? Dua Lipa? Yeah. No. I had no clue. So don't put this in like the Dua Lipa fan group. <laughs> but literally like, I don't want to get reamed like a clash. I've never heard her talk. I only ever heard her sing. So Yeah, like, exactly. So like. I'm not watching Dua Lipa interviews. Yeah, I'm not either. So anyway, she's British. Fun fact. Also like in the documentary I watch, which I reference a lot. A lot of the source material came from that documentary. It's called Amy. It came out in 2015 and won a bunch of awards. At the very beginning of it, she's like 14. So she's at this Sylvia Young Theater School and she sings. And I got chills. I'm like, how the hell is a 14 year old singing that good? Like it was insane. Like she sounded just like herself. That's awesome. Like just a little bit, you know, a little bit maybe higher pitched. Yeah. But pretty much almost spot on to what she actually would go on to sound like. She left the school and like for a year or two, she like attended a couple different schools, but eventually she landed at the Brit school, capital B R I T school. Not to be confused with the Brit awards. Yeah. <laughs> not to be confused. This is also a very prestigious art school whose alumni include my alto Lord and savior Adele. <laughs> <laughs> and for Marvel fans, everybody's little brother, Tom Holland oh. studied there. I love Tom Holland. I do too. Oh, every time I see him, like, do you ever want to just give him a pat on the head? Yeah. Like, he's probably taller than me, but yeah. Still, though, like, you just see him, like, come here, he's little. He's just adorable. Come here, little friend. We're having tacos tonight. Yes. <laughs> um. So, however, she did not last long there. She dropped out at the age of 15 due to smoking pot, skipping school. That'll do it. Yeah. Uh, this also seems like a time to insert what she's also experiencing as a teenager on top of smoking pot and skipping school. So one day she tells her mom that she's on a great new diet where she eats whatever she wants and then throws up. No. Yeah. Fun fact. Don't do that. She's also experiencing depression, she says, but she doesn't know it at the time that that's what it is so her doctor at like age 15 puts her on antidepressants eh. and like she just remembers like feeling loopy but like yeah not knowing she was actually depressed yeah um but because of all this she really relied on music as her outlet um but she never thought and i i want this displayed everywhere when you when you think about this at the beginning of the story, this is the thread that will lead the rest that explains everything that happened. She never thought she would do music as a career. And that's not as like a, wow, I never thought I'd do music as a career. And I was so lucky. It was really not her intention, not her intention. Huh. And we're going to talk more about that, but I want you to keep that in mind. So instead, her career started as a music journalist for a magazine called or a network I'm sorry called World Entertainment News Network and she just happened to do music on the side um 
of course, as no shock, she did jazz, but like actual jazz, mm-hmm. not not the album, you know, Back to Black, where it's like a jazz influence and girl group influenced, like true jazz. Um, that's what she did at the beginning of her career. She listened to jazz artists, both growing up and during this decade, like Sarah Vaughn, Dinah Washington, but also spread her musical wings to include girl groups like the Ronettes and also like Erica Badu, so a lot of Motown artists. This is also your music PSA. If you like Amy Sound, go listen to these artists. Like El- even Ella Fitzgerald and Macy Gray, because that's where she's getting mm-hmm. inspired from. She would tell you, she said it many times in interviews. So one thing also I didn't know about Amy, around age 14, she learned to play guitar. And I went back and watched her play guitar. And there's just something like special about her with an electric guitar. Because mm-hmm. I was... I think her poison electric Mm -hmm. over acoustic. This is going to sound harsh, but it's not intentional whatsoever, but she's good, but she's simplistic, Mm -hmm. but there's something beautiful about that. Cause she's just playing these really pretty jazz chords. And it just feels like we're seeing her from like another light or angle. It's not overproduced. It's just her and the band that backs her up. Mm -hmm. So anyway, back to when she's a music journalist around 18 or 19, her friend, who's also a singer, asked Amy if she wants to record in a studio, to which she replied, why? And he's like, well, when you write songs, you should record. And she's like, oh, well, she had been writing poetry, but they adapted very nicely into lyrics. Convenient. Very convenient. She records some songs and her friend sends these demo tapes over this management company. And this management company hears her and just pretty much signs her on the spot. That management company is called 19 Management. Now, who owns 19 Management? That would be a man named Simon Fuller, creator of American Idol. I was going to guess Simon Cowell. Close. Um, But he also managed artists like Spice Girls and then Steven Tyler. Um, That explains how Steven Tyler became a judge. Yeah. (laughs) American Idol. Yeah. And then, of course, Carrie Underwood, Clay Clarkson, the whole deal. All the winners. Yes still going did you know that that show is still going it's ridiculous i saw a commercial for it last night and apparently I was like, they chose the winner i read it that today oh good for them i don't know who they are um no idea but when she signed they kind of like hid her away because they didn't want anyone to find out about her because she's that good of a singer fair and um for example there was a rep at island records and they just heard a recording of her. And he like went was like, hey, who is this? And the dude's like, I can't tell you. Like she's Secret just hidden. Project. Like she's some kind of top clearance intelligence. <laughs> you gotta have level six clearance to figure out who this artist is. Yeah. Sorry. Pretty much. Um, but eventually you would find out and they would actually like steal her away. Ooh. Because she was gonna sign with EMI. And he's like, no, you should come work with me. And then um, she met Salam Remy through there, which is one of her producers who we'll talk about in a little bit. So before we talk about her first album, I really want to stress something. It goes back to that original thread I told you about. For me, it feels like there's two Amy's. The one that probably comes to mind. And then the Frank era Amy. This Amy 
is an electric guitar playing jazz singer who wants to laugh, play music, and smoke a cigarette. And not to talk about looks like in a superficial way, but if you look at her in this era, she just looks so much healthier, Mm. more in tune with herself. Like, remember when we were talking about Pantera and how they went from glam metal to like thrashy metal, Mm -hmm. but Dimebag Daryl still loved glam metal and kind of kept it a secret. Mm -hmm. This is what I feel about Amy. So I want to like challenge you as audience before we continue to take a second and remove the drunk drugged persona that 2000s MTV put Mm -hmm. inside your head as your only image of her. The one that waited for her to screw up so you you could get more eyes on the screen and instead replace it with this one. A woman who is retro but yet had a different sound Mm -hmm. for a new era. So anyway, that brings us to this first album, Frank. Partly named after Frank Sinatra. Aww. who, as we mentioned, her dad would play for her. Uh, this album is also like a really new take on jazz. And I say new because it's still in my head that it's still 2000. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's 2021. This album came out on. in 2003 and my head's like, yeah. Five years ago. It's only 2005. Yeah. You know, it's fine. Um, I listened to it for the first time in the car, by the way. It's a completely different Amy. Like, she still has those perfect runs, but her voice is a little bit higher than when we hear in like Back to Black. Like I feel like for Back to Black, she's almost mimicking that crooner type voice you hear from like a Frank Sinatra or a Sammy Davis or Dean Martin. So this definitely feels more in line with like what you hear from jazz singers. Um, the album was produced by Salam Remy, who I mentioned, and he's worked with like a lot of different artists, including artists like Fergie. And besides like two covers, Amy like co-wrote most of the stuff, which is pretty impressive considering like she pretty much, I mean, she's writing poetry beforehand, but kind of really didn't start songwriting, songwriting until mm-hmm. like her late teens. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned, the album was released in 2003. As far as for accolades, it did really well in the UK. Like it didn't get released in the States until 2007 until after. So we don't really have any us stats for it um but it was so well received that it sold like one million copies in the uk and went triple platinum wow amy however doesn't really like this album in a 2004 interview she said quote some things on this album make me go to a little place that's fucking bitter i never heard the album from start to finish i don't have it in my house well the marketing was fucked the promotion was terrible Everything was in shambles. It's frustrating because you work with so many idiots, but they're nice idiots. So you can't be like, you're an idiot. That's my spirit quote right there. (laughs) You work with so many idiots, but they're nice idiots, but you can't tell them that they're idiots. That's my life. Correct. That has the same energy of the review that we received about the Y chromosome. Yes. (laughs) Same energy. Regardless. A lot of critics consider this like almost an immaculate album and it's just a great, it's just great from start to finish. Another thing also interesting is Amy during the Frank era, like I mentioned, this goes back to that thread. She never thought she'd be famous. Like she thought she was just going to be a small jazz singer playing to clubs with smaller audiences. It just never crossed her mind Mm -hmm. that she would ever become famous um she actually said in an interview 
because they asked her what if you became famous she said i would go mad well yeah so this next section i'd like to call the section of amy's life that led to her writing one of the best albums ever at the expense of a man and let's i want to introduce someone here in the mix the year is 2005 amy has stopped working um she moves out to camden which is in london starts partying and drinking more and along comes a dude named blake fielder civil i think he was just known as blake fielder then um who used to work at a nightclub called trash if you've been to camden that seems very appropriate. That is the best and that's, name that's for a not nightclub. A, that's not a dig on Camden. I love Camden, but it's such an eclectic place. So it's like, of course, there's a nightclub named Trash. 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 Anyway, he met Amy at a bar. And not to ruin the surprise, but Blake and Amy, they're just not good for each other. We will discuss that more in detail. But at the beginning, she just absolutely falls in love with him. And while they are falling in love... Um, she started falling in love with like 60s music because that's what would be playing on the jukebox whenever they were playing pool in London. But then Blake leaves for his ex and tells Fuck Amy Blake. over text. <laughs> that's such a 2006 thing to do. <laughs> Enter Back to Black, Amy's second album. This one was inspired by the girl groups of the 60s. Which you can definitely hear on songs like Me and Mr. Jones, Back to Black, Wake Up Alone. Um, Fun fact, Ronnie Spector from the Ronettes, when she saw a picture of Amy with her classic beehive and big winged eyeliner, thought she was being shown a picture of herself. Isn't that sweet? That's actually really cute. Anyway, I just had to throw that in there. So Salam is here to produce again since it did so good on the first album. But another producer is coming into play. Mark Ronson. Now, ah. I think this is the first time we've talked about Mark Ronson yeah. on the show. Um, Mark Ronson is a pretty big deal in the music industry, and he's worked with like the best of the best. Remember Uptown Funk? That was Mark. Remember the whole album Joanne by Lady Gaga? Mark was producer, co-writer, and collaborator. You like the song Shallow from Starsborn? Mark Coat wrote it. You like Zoolander? Well, he had a cameo in Zoolander as a DJ at a male model funeral. I so- don't like one of those things. <laughs> Take a guess at which one of those things it is. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Mark, but he may he may have to be like a rule breaker we cover at some point. He's very fascinating. I was just sitting there thinking, we sh- we've never done a producer, so... I think that'd be fun. So we're going to pin that for later. So he's on deck and he helps produce one of my favorite albums of all time, Back to Black. Like since I decided I was going to cover Amy, I'm not even kidding. I wrote five in here. I think it's been more since I wrote this. Like I've listened to this album at least eight or nine times. It's just so good and it's so catchy. Full disclosure, Beth Ann was listening to it on vinyl when I walked in today. So. Correct. I ordered that vinyl like two days ago before you came. <laughs> um it's also just interesting how like Remy and Ronson like split the producing. So it's like pretty much like a 50-50 split. For Remy's part, um, she went to Miami where he's based out of. She sung and played guitar while he did most of the backing instruments. 
either he would do most of the backing instruments or a dude named Vincent Henry, who's a multi-instrumentalist, would help. There they recorded Tears Dry on Their Own, Some Unholy War, Me and Mr. Jones, Just Friends, and Addicted. Then she went to New York to record the following at Daptone Records with Mark Ronson. Rehab, Back to Black, You Know I'm No Good, Love is a Losing Game, Wake Up Alone, He Can Only Hold Her. When you look at the list and you listen to the songs, you could definitely like see the producing styles of Remy Mm -hmm. and Ronson, which I think is really cool. I love that both influences are on there. Um, Like whatever songs Remy produced just feels cohesive and Mm -hmm. vice versa for Ronson. Um, One important detail, the backing band you hear on Rehab and some of the tracks is called the Dab Kings and it's usually Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings. And I think they also appear in the video for Rehab, which we'll get into in a little bit. But Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings were a funk and soul band that revived the music of the 60s and 70s. And Mark Ronson was a huge fan of them. So he's like, hey, come help. So they came and helped for like, I think two, two or three songs. So as I mentioned, the songs on this album are so fucking good. Like it's rare to find an album where every track is dynamite. And a slew of different songs and get stuck in your head. Like some days, Wake Up Alone. I think that's my favorite song in the album. Would just be ringing through my head. Then all of a sudden, it would switch to You Know I'm No Good. And then it would switch over to Me and Mr. Jones. Like it's just constantly just been going through my head. Um, and also, like I mentioned, quite a few songs are inspired by Le Blake. Leaving uh, her. Yes, I forgot about Blake. Yes. Um. There's also songs about her past alcohol and drug issues, such as rehab. The story behind this song is while she was with Simon Fuller's management team, um, her manager at the time, like drove her out into the middle of nowhere and got her to talk about her problems, which I don't recommend on paper, but it worked in this scenario. Mm. Um, And this was like right after her and Blake broke up and she just went, kind of like drinking more and all that stuff and finally like she admitted like I just feel so lost and then her manager like convinced her to go to rehab and she's like yeah sure I'll go but then she goes and tells her dad and her dad is like no you don't need to go because in his mind oh she's just lovesick over a boy she's not an alcoholic fast forward to her making this album And her and Mark are walking down the street in New York and she's telling Mark this story and she goes, he tried to make me go to rehab and I was like, no, no, no. And they like, Mark is like, did you hear you say, say yourself that? Like, he's like, I know it's gimmicky, but like there's something in the rhythm in which you said it. And they like ran back to the studio and they wrote that sucker in 30 minutes. That's how it always goes. And I don't know if I include this in here. I probably did, but I'm going to say it here anyway. Her dad would like go on to regret that. Yeah, I bet he did. But I think we're going to talk about it more. Anyway, another fun one is Me and Mr. Jones, which was inspired by the Billy Paul song, um, Me and Mrs. Jones. Uh, This song was more about her realizing (laughs) that she'll never see a Slick Rick show, but she'll never miss a Nas show. And so Nas's last name is Jones, hence the name of the song. That's funny. And I don't even think he knew her. Uh, he knew her then or vice versa. She didn't know him then, but they became good friends after it. Yeah. 
Um, and there's this great moment. Have you ever heard this song? I don't think so. Okay. There's this great moment in the song when she goes to start her verse that goes, what kind of fuckery is this? <laughs> and when she performs it, there's this slight delay she'll throw in there. So it sounds like what kind of fuckery is this? And it's just, it's, it's beautiful. Um, I'm surprised like I don't use this line more too. like when Rhodey tries to steal a soft potato taco off the table like what kind of fuckery is this you should start using that I need to start using this phrase anyway she and Remy wanted to name the song fuckery but the big honchos at Island Record are like no Mm, probably a fair yeah and um (laughs) I forgot I put this in here okay um I'm also going to mention this one real quick, not because I have a fact for it, but because Josh made a very funny joke <laughs> and I got an, uh, and then I got annoyed that I had to go home and write it down in my outline, but I'm glad I did because this is like, like I said, my favorite song and I get to talk about it and I'm going to apologize because this joke is only going to make sense to maybe 25% of our audience. I'm probably missing my shot here with 75% of you, but I'm going to say it anyway. So I was showing him the original version of Wake Up Alone on her post-hominus album, Lioness Hidden Treasures, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Do you mean post-humus? What, what the fuck? Hominus? Humanus? <laughs> Not the same hummus. thing. Not the same thing. Post-hummus. 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 Um, so Josh is listening to it and he goes, it'd be great if the song went like, like have a drum going. And it took me a second to realize what he was doing because yesterday, that day before, we had watched an episode of Rick and Morty where like they're in space and the snake bites Morty in space. So you have to go to the planet to make a serum and it's a whole planet run by snakes and they're able to tap into their radio and they have something called snake jazz. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's literally just a radio of so anyway, there you go. That's only going to make sense to 25% of our audience. Yeah. But I literally thought it was one of the most funniest things I heard. Anyway, last song I want to highlight is Back to Black, uh, Back to Black, which is really also grown on me. Um, in this song, they do a really cool technique developed by a not so cool dude. Um, it's called The Wall of Sound. It was invented by Phil Spector. Is Phil Spector and Ronnie Spector married? I think they were. Were is the key word. Um, But according to the article I read from CheatSheet.com, because I believe in superior sources, uh, this technique came out in the 60s when stereo was coming into play, which for my non-audio friends, Leah. That's uh, me. (laughs) This means the song is played through like two audio channels instead of one channel, like mono, like we are recording in mono right now. Uh, Philly wasn't happy about that and he instead decides to create something that has the same feel by using this technology and what he would do is he would get like multiple bass players guitarists drums etc and they would all play the same notes so it made it feel like it had depth but it was mono and then you just put the vocals on top of it and there you go so the Ronettes had this technique on their song Be My Baby yeah, that one. And you'll hear it and you'll just recognize it as that quintessential 60s sound. 
And because I'm a nerd, when you listen to Back to Black, it sounds different than Rehab or any other songs on it. Like the instruments sound more flat. Like like you've taken all the instrument sounds and flattened it into one musical pancake. <laughs> I could use the analogy of a vinyl, but where's the fun in that? Pancakes are better. Pancakes are way better. Whereas you listen to Rehab, it's in stereo. So it sounds like it's surrounding you. Like you're in the center of a bagel. Gosh. <laughs> and and there is your fun audio lessons with Beth Ann. Anyway, before I lose you on your commute, let's talk about the accolades. Um, I don't have to tell you because likely you've lived through the Amy era. But this I album, really hope if you were not alive during this era, you are not listening to this show. Yeah, you're probably a little lost. Because you're probably, what, 15, 14? Oh, shit. Yeah, don't listen. Don't well, listen to this. My niece, who's 13... I told her not to listen to it. Of course, she went and listened to it anyway. But, you know, that's her fault. That's don't her listen f- to the show. Yeah. Don't listen to the show. This isn't for you. Anyway. Um, But you know how huge the album was. Yeah. Especially Rehab. That song was everywhere. Um, Whether it was what you listened to or not, like... It, it was everywhere. It was everywhere. And something is telling me, like, my emo senses are tingling when I say this. So I feel like I'm right. But I think they were selling Amy Winehouse Marching CDs in Hot Topic. I feel like that's right. It feels right to me. So I'm going to go with it. Um, It was one of the top albums for 2006. It still is, I believe, the UK's second best-selling album of the 21st century, selling nearly 4 million copies. She outsold One Direction? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It also went double platinum and won five Grammys in 2007 and claimed record of the year. Those five wins earned her an entry into the Guinness World Records for the most Grammy Awards won by a British female act, which seems like a weird category, but whatever. Okay. I'm convinced that they just make up things to make (laughs) records for. (laughs) throw them in. It's all publicity. But okay. It's all publicity anyway. So... If you've been alive from the eh, 1990s and on, you know the next section I'm about to talk about. But I want to back up a little bit and talk about how it got to this point. So after Blake broke up with her, as I mentioned, she starts changing. Simply put, she's just not in a good mental state, which we see whenever they try to send her to rehab before she rides back to black. Like I mentioned, her dad regretted it because in his his view, they may have like gotten to her before she got big. Yeah. And once again, I'm bringing this thread. She really, I would have ventured to not want to be famous. Yeah. It was kind of thrusted upon her. Um, Another event sent her down her path. Her grandmother passed away, um, which happened around the same time she recorded the album. And they were like very close. She helped raise her. So at this point, she's drinking a lot more. She's still bulimic. Like she kept that up for a long, long time. And then the album comes out. And she's literally admitted she is terrified of becoming famous. Yeah. It starts skyrocketing. And she's winning awards around the UK, getting more in the public eye. And she just does not like it. And then Blake re-enters the picture. Surprise, surprise. It didn't take long for them to get engaged. Like it was a whirlwind situation. 
because her album came out in October of 2006 and She's already with someone else. She's with chef musician Alex Kerr. And then all of a sudden, they're married in May of 2007 in Miami. Wait, Blake and Amy are? Yes, Blake and Amy. Yes. She dumped the chef? She jumped the chef. And this is a he's a good musician, too. He had a song in a commercial. I remembered it. Wrong choice. Yeah, wrong choice. Um. So anyway, they're married in Miami, which was like a spur of the moment decision as well. Around this time, also, Amy tries crack cocaine for the first time. No. Blake was already a user. Of and course he was. Her to it. And the addiction just hits her so fucking hard. And it is around this time that we start to see her do those, you know. MTV worthy things. Yes. MTV worthy things is what we'll call it. So, married in May. And it may have been just a few weeks after they got married that she starts doing crack cocaine. And then by August of 2007, she overdoses. The doctors actually were surprised that she was not in a coma because of the amount of alcohol, heroin, and cocaine in her system. And the doctor said if she has one more seizure, she will die. So her family stages an intervention. Uh, I'm sorry, her family and friends staged an intervention for her. At first, her father was like, yeah, you know, you can go perform in America because the tour is already booked. But like the shows already started getting slowly canceled. Yeah, I don't know what what drives this guy to make his decisions about his daughter, but that's okay. But she loved her dad. So anything he said, she was like, okay, cool. Um, Her friends who were devastated, like... Once her dad said, you can go perform in America, they're like, uh, no, you're not. Yeah, that's I n- think these are the ones she formed Sweet and Sour with. Mm. So her friends were devastated and they like went out of their way to steal her passport. Good for them. Yeah. Um, it's a good friend who steals your passport when you really, need to go to rehab. I hope you steal my passport. <laughs> if you need to go to rehab, I will steal your passport. Thank you, friend. You can't go on tour in the UK. Sorry. <laughs> but it, you know, like it just kind of keeps going and Blake like despite what the doctors say kept giving her heroin like would sneak into her room to give her heroin this is the worst husband award correct correct we've had some shitty dudes on this this show. is like he takes up, the cake yeah this is up there um Russell Brand actually reached out and try to get her help because okay. he has some substance abuse. If Russell Brand is trying to get you help, it's yeah. bad. Yeah, correct. And she agreed to go and like have an assessment done. But Blake was standing right by her side the whole time. She finally goes to rehab, but Blake is attending with her, which a counselor they interviewed in the documentary said that is unethical. Yeah. You cannot do that. And as you can imagine, it did not go well. No. Three days later, after they left rehab, they both show up in central London, completely bloodied up, like their arms and their shoes are just blood everywhere. And according to Blake, they both like participated in self-harm, though some think it was a fight between the two. Probably. I'm not going to go into the full details of it because it's a little graphic. Um, But like I said, they're just not good for each other. Well... He's not good, in my opinion, but that's just my humble opinion based off of the facts. 
Anyway, in November 2007, police show up at Amy's house, but not for her, for Blake. He was arrested and went to jail for like, I think, a year and a half. I forget what he did. They labeled it as, I don't know, trying to avoid court or something like He's that. He's a piece of shit, so it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. And I'm sure her family and friends were elated. Yeah. But she is like destroyed. Like to like the outsiders. It's very clear. This man's an enabler. But this was her whole world. Like she loved Blake so, so much. Like Mm -hmm. it was, in my opinion, an unhealthy dependency. But she really loved him. And it came down to a point where right after she had been nominated for a bunch of Grammys, Universal sent her a letter. You know it's bad when Universal sent you a letter and said, you better be drug free or you're not performing or making another record. Good for them. Someone has a backbone. Right. So she did get clean. Um, She did have to perform in London due to a visa issues because of it. Um, And it was just this really rewarding moment, though, because they set up a stage name in the background. All of her friends and family are there. And then she gets announced for record of the year. They're all hugging each other. Her mom comes on stage. It's just this beautiful moment. But what felt like the start of a new beginning just crumbled because three days later, she was back on drugs and drinking. Jeez. She actually like told her friend one of her best friends um, at that event because she was like, aren't you happy? Like her best friend's like, aren't you happy? She goes, this is just so boring without drugs. Yikes. That That's how, I mean, considering she was like not that far into it in my viewpoint, maybe I'm wrong. Like that's crazy. Yeah. That her mind's already arrived at that point. She's, I mean, she's been famous for what? Two years? A year? A year. I, I mean, she probably did... Dr- I know she smoked a lot of weed before yeah. this. But, you know, weed weed doesn't really count in my book. But, like, considering yeah, yeah, a yeah. hard drug. Yeah. And so, anyway, yeah. Um, In 2008, she's getting paid, like, a million dollars a show. Jeez. Yeah. But she's showing up, like, drunk and stoned. And at this point, she's just becoming the be- butt end of a lot of jokes. Like, oh, Amy can't keep it together jokes. The one that fueled her to drink and do drugs more. And then more jokes came. And then she did more drugs and drink. And the cycle just kept going. She also was getting into fights with the paparazzi and fans. And they're just all wanting that next blow up. Mm -hmm. That next camera moment. In 2009, she gets away for a little bit and goes to St. Lucia. To just try and finally kick off her drug habit. And, you know, it was pretty successful. Like, she, like, took to some of the people there. Like, I think she was even considering adopting this girl that was Aww. there, which was really sweet. Um, but she didn't kick drinking because she kept drinking. Her dad also came to visit, but with cameras. I don't know why he makes these decisions. This dad. He's like. I'm very concerned with him. He's the opposite of the dad we're going to talk about in our next episode. Okay. Anyway, so do with that what you will. Um, but in my opinion, it's just like a lot of people in her life are kind of using her. And while the film crew is there, 
They snag a glimpse of Amy snuggling up with someone who is not Blake. Blake finds out and divorces her for adultery. Like I said, she's better without him. Yeah. She's good. Good riddance. In 2010, when Tony Bennett recorded with Amy Winehouse, he said about her that she was a true jazz singer like Ella Fitzgerald or Billie Holiday, which is why she never liked crowds. Um, that jazz singers are way better with small crowds. Mm-hmm. And he suspects that's why she would get so nervous and then lead to drinking and drugs. Mm-hmm. So she gets back from that session, which was like a dream come true for her. And she realized that it was time to go back into jazz. That's really her passion. So she starts up a new project with Quest Love and they're going to do this jazz collab. It's going to be this really awesome. And she just starts kind of coming back. And, um, but the reality sets, if she's going to get back into music, people are not going to only want to hear jazz. They're going to hear back to black. And that freaks her out because she did not want to do that at all. So she starts drinking again and doctors were telling her saying you are going to have serious complications from drinking and bulimia and your heart is just going to stop. Mm -hmm. And I think like they were even saying like you have like from already years of doing it, like really bad complications. Yeah. It'll like eat your esophagus. Yeah. Cause I mean with Karen Carpenter, it'll cause your heart to just give out. Right. Well, they were even saying she might even have like emphysema. Yeah. At like 25 or 26. Yeah, because fluid will get in your lungs from constantly throwing up. Yeah. And it does not, I mean, it's like bacteria grows, so. Yeah. But um, we know the story. Um, She performs, I think it's in Serbia, which is in Russia. It's so random. I think. Um, oh my God. She gets drunk. It goes horribly. This clip, I mean, it's on YouTube if you really want to watch it, but it's so painful to watch. Like they even have clips where it's like the clickbait gotcha headlines, like unbelievable. I can't believe she's and it's like, you guys don't get it. Like I'm watching her and I'm like, this is someone who's at the end. Yeah. You know, I mean, to them, it's like, oh, you're losing your money. Big fucking whip. Like this is someone who has just been through so much shit by the age of 27. Anyway, so this would be her last performance. Three months later, she would be found dead in her home in Camden from alcohol poisoning. Though some say it's both alcohol poisoning and bulimia. doesn't really matter. But anyway, just write that in there. Um, but yeah, you just... Going back to that clip, you just see... I mean, she is someone who just did not want to be famous. And she had been finally pushed to her limit. And really, she just wanted to be the girl in the club, playing to a small audience, Mm -hmm. singing jazz and playing electric guitar. That's all she wanted to do. And everything was just thrusted upon her. So anyway, this was a harder episode (laughs) to cover. And I just love Amy so much. And quickly, I don't need to tell you about her enormous influence just look at artists like Adele, Lana Del Rey, Billie Eilish, all credit her to opening the door mm-hmm. to different soul-based singing. A door that would have like not likely been opened since the 50s or 60s. Um, also, Green Day wrote a song about her called Amy. I forgot to throw that in there, but I think that's pretty cool. That is cool. Uh, but whenever you have someone who goes before their time, especially when it's kind of recent, 
And by recent, I mean, it's not like the sixties, like when I covered Janice, um, like most of our content, it just hits harder because you've lived through it. Mm-hmm. And you see that if she was around for a few more years, she would have seen a world that was a little bit more forgiving. And she would have probably got the help that she actually needed because think about all the mental health options that we have now been advocating for. Um, anyway, it's just, it's so sad because I'm like, man, if she had just, I was thinking like, I was even putting dates on it at lunch. She had stayed around to like 2013 yeah, or 2014. She would have been in a different world. Yeah. Even, I mean, even the way that media covers things now is different. Yeah. Like 2008 to 2013 was, the media was terrible that's when you had right. taylor swift is over and the taylor swift katie perry feud and like it's when clickbait was really a big thing mm-hmm. the dawn of facebook but now it's like i mean journalism's dead for the most part mm-hmm. it's all buzzfeed articles but it's, yeah it's a different tone than it was in 2013 there's a lot more voices too yeah in in not journalism world but there's a lot more voices so there's a lot more perspective yeah And even though we talked about the bad, I also just want to remember like how awesome she was. Like, I feel like when a celebrity passes from drugs, you only remember the downward slope, but never who they actually were. So Mm -hmm. Lady Gaga in an interview with The View right after her death said, I don't feel like Amy needed to learn any lessons. I feel like the lesson was for the world to be kinder to the superstar Mm -hmm. and on that same note i think lady gaga is one of the people that made it a kinder world for celebrities the amount of advocacy this woman has done to challenge the status quo like and she's had her fair share of harassment by the media oh my god yeah like so many people have tried to do gotcha journalism on her and she's not fucking faced by it she's just like cool and she's just kind of like all right fuck you i'm gonna do my thing like She's one of the people that helped turn this yeah. around and it still needs to be turned around, but she's doing a lot for it. So anyway, part of that kindness stems though into how we choose to remember her. Do we want to leave that MTV infused image of a woman who needed help, but yet is put out on display in her most vulnerable state for a profit or do we remember her by her music, her voice, who she actually was? And I want to close with this article I read from Rolling Stone right after her death in 2011 about her time in St. Lucia. And this is a direct quote. Um, Occupying a pair of villas on the grounds of the nearby Cotton Bay Village Resort, Winehouse found a kind of privacy she never gotten in London. Sometimes she would play a song on the white baby grand in the lobby of the resort or surprise tourists by performing back to black songs on Marjorie's uh, karaoke machine. She became so close with one of Lambert's six children, an eight year old named Danica, that she began inquiring about adopting the girl. And when a friend of Lambert's was suffering from a hernia and couldn't afford the operation, Winehouse offered to handle the $6,000 cost. She helped so many people here, Lambert says. She would be everybody's friend and she loved children. She'll, she'll be there just like us, sitting, eating together, laughing together, giving jokes. That's who she really was. Mm-hmm. Just a really kind soul. Anyway, that's Amy. On that note. On that <laughs> note. What are we drinking, Lee? <laughs> 
We haven't drank in so long. I don't I even know. know. I thought about getting beer today, and then I was like, that I didn't have time to go to the store. So mm-hmm. that's why there's no beer. But we are drinking Baja Colada Freezes from Taco Bell. Yeah, They're th- good. The, the pineapple one was better last summer, but... It was definitely a Taco Bell day. Yes. It's just been an insane week. It's been a Monday. Month. <laughs> year. Decade. Decade. It's been an exhausting decade. I'll tell you that right <laughs> now. Uh, nothing's been the same since 2011. No, it surely has not. Thanks for listening. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and be sure to follow us or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. Be sure to visit our website, shewarakyu.com. There you can find links to our social media, any show notes. You can fill out a form and contact us. And you can buy our brand new merch. And remember, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. 